you have questions like Jesse does, maybe you need to get back to the basics. Enjoy this B2B message from Pastor Jason. So, as we go into the Apostles' Creed, this next line, the most uh, one of the most important lines, I think, of the entire creed is the one that we'll be discussing tonight. Um, we discussed last week, um, he descended into hell. And I hope that you had some great insights, maybe something that touched your heart, a, a change maybe in your mindset of how that actually works out. But um, this week, we are discussing probably one of my favorite lines in the entire creed. The third day, he rose again from the dead. Now, this is the event that really sets Christianity apart from any other religion on earth, period. Um, because our patriarch, the, the, the leader of our religion, is not dead anymore. He died once and then he rose again from the dead. But I want to get into it. I want to first start by reading you the account given in Luke for this. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Father God, we thank you for your word, for the power of your word, for the inspiration of your word, that it is inspired, it is infallible, inerrant, and it stands the test of time, God. Father, we ask you right now that you would remove the veil, that we may see a clearer revelation of who you are and who your Son is. Bless us with that revelation knowledge that we may retain it and use it in our daily lives. And God, we will thank you so much for blessing us with that. Holy Spirit, illuminate these scriptures for us, that our eyes may be opened and our minds clear to receive what you have for us in your word. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. So, this is a wonderful account of the resurrection. I, I've always loved Luke's account of the resurrection um, because to me there's so much, uh, I don't know, there's, there seems to be so much emotion that he's he's bringing across. You know, as the women see the, the, the stone rolled away, nobody in the tomb, and they bow their heads before these angels who tell them he's not here. I just think it's an it's an awesome account. I also love John's account as well. I really love all the accounts. Um, but I, I wanted to read this one because, you see, the women here, I, I like how it explains that the women were going to do the duty that women would do uh, in this case in the Middle East as tradition to go and embalm the body. The Sabbath had passed. Um, it had been three days. It was time to go and f- complete some of the embalming of the body. Basically, they were going to put the oils upon a, his face and, and his head, and most likely upon the wounded spots. Um, that's something that um, um, Al Mohler talks a lot about in his book, The Apostles' Creed. You know, I've shown you every week. Uh, we're still using that. If you don't have that book, get that book. It's a great book. Um. But they were just fulfilling a duty that, that was the duty of the women to do in the Middle East at the time. And uh, they were actually met at the tomb by angels. And the angels were telling them, there's, there's no body for you to embalm. I want to go back and read to you verses 5, 6, and 7 again. Listen to this. It says, and while they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, that's the men who were in the, the bright clothing, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise he's not there Christ is not there he left death behind defeating death stepping out of the tomb he he's he's not able to dwell with the dead anymore because he is not dead anymore that that, that to me has always struck me as just amazingly powerful that, that that Jesus was laid with the dead. He died, and then he's not there anymore. I think that's that, that that's awesome to me. Now, Jesus had told them what was going to happen. He told them, "I'm going to be killed, and on the third day rise." He said. Uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. He's trying to tell them constantly that this was going to happen. I'm going to be killed. You know, we discussed that in the Apostles' Creed uh, line by line when we talked about that he was crucified, dead, and buried. He he died. He, he literally died. And now's the moment of vindication. The moment that he rises again. They've destroyed his temple, and three days later, 
he will rebuild. And, and to me, it's, it's, it's so powerful. Now, this moment of resurrection and, and, and having a place, a physical place of an empty tomb has three major contextual uh, effects that I can see. Three major effects in context of what we're reading and in context of the actual environment, the society, the, the community that, that, that Christ is in, that, that his disciples are in. It has three major contextual effects. The first effect that I see clearly is historically. Um, this has a historical effect, and here's why. If there is no physical empty tomb, if there is not physically an empty tomb, then Christianity is done. If there is not a physical tomb in Jerusalem that did house Christ's body and is now empty, Christianity has has no leg to stand on. Because the leaders of the day could have just stopped the movement. All they had to do is point to the tomb. That was not empty. That was not empty, but they were unable to do that. You see, the tomb was empty. Now, in the in the history, uh, Al Mohler talks about it. There, there's a bunch of Gentile heroes. Like the Gentiles had a bunch of ancestral heroes. You know, that they they worshipped and revered these ancestral heroes. But the thing about them was, if you went to their tombs, their tombs have bodies in them because they actually died and stayed there and thinking about that is so interesting to me because we don't hear the names of those gentile heroes anymore from that from that era why because they died their legacy ended once once the newness and the and the neatness of what whatever they did to make themselves worshipped and revered, once it wore off, it, it decayed just like their bodies did. But the name of Christ is still spoken today, and all and what's so awesome about it is it's still spoken in newness, because he's bringing newness of life even today. Because he rose from the grave, the tomb is was and always will be empty. So the next contextual effect that I think it has is this physically. It has a physical effect. Why? Because if there was a dead body that could be produced and shown Christianity is done. If the leaders of the day that hated Christ so much had, had presented a, a dead body, said, he's right here. This is the dead body of Christ. And guess what? There's no Christianity. It's over. You see, the heresy, and it actually started fairly early in the church that said that, that Christ was seen in spirit form after his, his resurrection does not hold water. For one, where's the body? Nobody produces a body. Okay? 
That's important. Next, he asked Thomas to stick your hands in the holes. Put your hand in my side. Touch me. You can't touch a spirit. You can't touch a ghost. He rose bodily. No body could ever be produced. He physically rose and left the tomb empty behind him. There is no body. No body is ever produced. No matter what lie the Gnostics told or or the modern day Gnostics like Dan Brown and all these guys who have come up with all these crazy weird ideas, there was no body ever produced. He physically rose. His raising physically affected the society. Now to me, I think to me the most important contextual effect of the resurrection is biblically. If Christ was not who he said he was and did not do what he said he would, Christianity is done. You see, he had to fulfill all of the prophecies. Not only that, he had to fulfill the very things he had been saying. We talked a few minutes ago. He said, destroy this temple in three days I'll rebuild it. He was mocked on the cross for this reason. He had to do what he said. Biblically, it had to hold water. Now, a story that I find interesting that has a lot to do with this is this. There were two guys on the road to Emmaus. These guys were sad. They were distraught. They were doubtful because the body of Christ was missing. So what happens? Jesus himself walks up and says, What are you guys talking about? And they're like, Have you been hiding under a rock? Did you not know what's been happening? They took Jesus' body. We don't know where he is. We don't know what to do. Well, this is where the resurrected Christ confronts these men biblically. Listen, Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. And listen to this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Biblically, Christ's resurrection is a fulfillment. You see, because he was explaining to them the biblical importance of his own resurrection. It's the culmination of all the prophecies of the Messiah. It is a pivotal moment in the covenant of redemption. We'll discuss that more in depth, but 
this resurrection was the pivotal moment in the covenant of redemption. It was essential that there was a resurrection. You see, understanding these contextual things, we must understand that the resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It is one of the rocks upon which we stand as Christians. The resurrection of our Savior, that He is no longer dead in a tomb. Now, to underscore this, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I urge you, if you have never read 1 Corinthians 15, read it, read it again, get a commentary, study it. It is one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible, laying out a Christian foundation of who we are, of, of what we believe, of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 13 through 17 for you. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You see, because there were some who were saying there was no re- there would be no res- resurrection on the final day at the return of Christ. They were saying that there was no such thing as resurrection of the dead. They were probably fighting against the fact that Jesus had raised people from the dead while he was on this earth, um, you know, and, 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 and those things. So they're fighting against it. And this is where, where Paul is, is, is coming against that in the Corinthian church. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It is of ultimate importance that Christ raised from the dead. It is of ultimate importance that you believe that and make it one of the bedrocks of what you say you believe and what you confess you believe in this creed. That's why I love this creed so much. Because it gives us the very slimmest outline of what we should believe. Every Christian should believe more than the Apostles' Creed but no Christian should believe less than the Apostles' Creed. That's why we're going over it line by line, to help give us a a firm foundation of our belief. But one of those firm foundations is the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Our faith is not futile. We are not worshiping a God in vain. We are not dead in our sins anymore if we are in Christ. So, Al Mohler, in his book, um, The Apostles' Creed, I don't have it in my hand to show you this time. I hope by this time you've seen it enough times that you know what it looks like and you could you could probably draw it as many times as I've shown you this book. Al Mohler points out in his book three important theological aspects of the resurrection. Some, some three uh, theological pillars that the resurrection builds. Okay, things that are so important that we need to understand. 
the first pillar is um, justification. You see, the resurrection is proof that the sacrifice of Christ is accepted by the Father. Um, Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9 say, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So, when we are in Christ, we are justified by faith in Christ. How can we be justified by faith in Christ? Well, because Christ presented himself as a very acceptable sacrifice for sin to the Father. If that sacrifice had not been accepted by the Father, if it wasn't good enough, then Christ would have remained in the grave. But Christ rose again. Therefore, he is vindicated in his sacrifice. He is justified in his sacrifice because the Father accepts it. And we are justified now in Christ because of that sacrifice, which is a wonderful thing. It's, we could never be justified on our own because we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. So, going on to the next theological point. It's the theological point of regeneration. That's the next pillar built by the resurrection. The resurrection is a beautiful picture of the regeneration of the believer when we are born again. Okay? Romans 6, verses 3 through 5 say, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, when we are in Christ, we've died a death like his. That death we died was to sin. And have been resurrected, resurrected with him in a resurrection like his. We are resurrected to God, to everlasting life. Death no longer holds sway over us anymore because of the resurrection of Christ. And if we are in him, then we are resurrected with him. And death doesn't hold sway. Now, that's, an, that's a crazy thing to think about because it is appointed unto man once to die. But here's the thing. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. When we close our eyes here for the last time, we will open our eyes and be present with the Lord. And that brings us to the third pillar. We've talked about justification. We've talked about regeneration. Now we need to talk about glorification. That is the last pillar built by the resurrection of Christ. You see, because the resurrection clearly shows the believer that, that awesome hope of glorification. Uh, Colossians, Colossians 1.18 says this, And he is the head of the body, 
the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Very interesting word choices here. That Christ was the firstborn from the dead. That infers if he is the firstborn, there will be more born from the dead. We will be born again. You see, we were dead in our trespasses and we've been made alive with Christ. We've been reborn from the dead because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But not only that, there's more to it. You see, because our mortal bodies will die and be put in the ground. But there's some interesting wording here in, in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to go further. I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 18 through 20. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's if, if there is no resurrection from the dead. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So even when we fall asleep, our body is laid in, in the ground, we still have hope because those who have died have not perished. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 through 56 go even further and talk about this. And in studying this, I find this awesome, amazing. It says in those verses, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, at the return of Christ, as he ushers in his kingdom, he will raise those who have died in him, born again. He will raise their body and soul and body shall be united. Now, what's amazing about that? That we will all be glorified and be in Christ. The glorification. Just as he rose imperishable when our bodies are raised out of the ground by Christ at the last day, we will be imperishable. So, what does the resurrection mean for me today? First of all, it means that the Christian faith has a solid foundation. An empty tomb. A bodily risen Savior. 
and God's word is true. That is a solid foundation for which to establish the Christian faith. Number two, that we can be justified before God. Christ was vindicated and justified in his sacrifice. And this is proven because of his resurrection. And therefore, we can be justified by faith in him alone. Because he was vindicated and justified, we will be justified. Number three, we have an awesome Savior with all power. Christ has won. He defeated all enemies and will return to finally redeem his church completely to himself. And number four, we who are born again have all hope because of the glorification to come in Christ. We have an awesome hope of heaven. We will be glorified. If you've been justified, you are being sanctified and you will be glorified. And that's the truth in God, in Christ. If you are in him, that is the truth for you. So I hope that this line of the Apostles' Creed was as helpful and as awesome for you as it was for me. I love this line. I could say this part forever. And, and it's wonderful. I want to pray for you. I hope that you have seen the power of the resurrection. And I hope that that resurrection is having a powerful effect on your life. So, I want to pray for you. Whether you are in Christ, I want to pray that you would be changed by it. That you would see it more clearly and you would love it more dearly. If you are not in Christ, that you would see that there is no hope outside of him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this word and all that you have shown us through it, God. Thank you for this creed that has helped us to outline some of the many important facts and, and, and important theological points and doctrine that we need to understand as Christians. God, I ask that you would help us, God, to see you more clearly through a resurrected Savior, and through the empty tomb, that it would spark our love even more for you, for your word, for your Son, and for your Holy Spirit. Help us to see you as you are, as the Redeemer of the world, the one who came to save us. Thank you, Jesus, not only that you died on the cross, but that you rose again in power, and that you have all authority in heaven and earth. God, I ask you right now, if there's somebody who is listening who does not know you, who needs you dearly, I ask that you would convict them through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, that this preaching of the gospel of the word would have affected their lives, that they may repent, believe the gospel, be regenerated, and become a brand new creature born again in Christ. God, we ask that you would help them. God, thank you so much for your power, your word, and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope to see you Sunday morning, 11 a.m. at Reality Church. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. We hope you were blessed by this message from Pastor Jason. If you like what you heard, go ahead to our Facebook page 
and like Reality Church. Also, go on YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Reality Church. God bless you. Thank you.